Hey, my wife and I are celebrating five years of friendship. Five years of what? Five years of friendship? Yeah. What's Don't you that? have a six-year-old? <laughs> five. Five-year-old. Save it for the show! Why are we talking right now? You're listening to episode 164 of PHP Ugly, the most technically inept tech show on the internet. I'm your host, Tom Rideout. With me, as always, my good friends, Eric Van Johnson. Thomas, good to see you again, buddy. And John Condon. You sounded way too excited to open the show. Always excited. There's some problem there. Why are I'm you excited. not excited? Why? That's the because big question. My, because I'm having so many computer issues right now. I'm just frustrated. And I'm you're tired just, and I want to go to bed. You're you're in like a whole like haze, man. In a haze. I've been smoking again. <laughs> He's taking up the taking up the pipe again. All right. Yeah. The full hippie transition. <laughs> Still working on that. <laughs> What's everybody been up to? I uh, finished up my Laravel six uh, shifts and changes and pushes and boy, I'm sure we'll get into Laravel six stuff uh, later on in the episode. But that's been really the, the most of my week. We got our big uh, Greenfield app. Well, it's not so much a Greenfield app anymore. I guess it's technically a Greenfield. It hasn't actually launched, but we've got our big app uh, upgraded to Laravel six. And just out of curiosity, John, did you see the uh, did you see the link I posted in uh, Slack? I did. I haven't gone to it to check it out because I was having computer issues trying to get to the show. Vapor baby, I just deployed it on Vapor. So kind of what I assumed that was. Yeah, I mean, this is a big app. So I, I've I literally just started it, deploying it on Vapor about an hour ago, and already had to make some of the changes that I knew I was going to have to make that I had to make with the other uh, application I deployed, which is again, essentially just finding where developers used. URL helpers are source or just did source and a, a, a URL and replacing it with an asset helper so that uh, the images are linked correctly. But I mean, it was like a you know ten minute search and replace on a couple pages, and man, I'm really excited. Now this is going to be a little different uh, because this is after you get logged in, it is a spa application which I haven't uh, had to deploy in Vapor yet. So uh, I'm working through that now, getting the login functioning and um, seeing how this, how the actual spa is working. But it's, it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And if it works, I'm very happy. So I'm any, very, any, any I, I tell you what, I am loving Vapor. Any reason you think it wouldn't work? Uh, again, it, yeah, be, well, because we had our JavaScript guy doing a lot of it, and he did a lot of the work in Vue, so if if he's not addressing assets correctly, um, that that's what's breaking. Like, like nine times out of ten, when something's breaking on a Vapor deploy, it's because assets aren't being addressed correctly. Mm. So that's the big... That's the big question mark because I know how I know how to do it in Laravel. You use there's an asset helper you use, but I'm not sure what I'm going to come come 
up against when I start looking at view files and how he's addressing those same assets. So I don't know if I can just use the Laravel asset helper, which I don't think I can because they're not they're not blade templates; they're view uh, templates. Right. So I I'm gonna have to see I'm gonna have to see what happens, um, but I'm I'm hopeful. I mean. It's. I'm very excited. I'm very, very happy that this is uh, this is working. And, and honestly, the only reason the the asset. Uh, nope, that's not the only reason. I apologize. Nope. Yeah, it, it wouldn't work even even if we did have the correct domain in there. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited. Very happy with uh, what I'm seeing. Vapor Vapor is going to be a real game changer uh, for what's, me. What, I feel like. What's the pricing model around that? Around uh, around the serverless infrastructure? Uh, no, around Vapor itself. Is that like a pay once and you can you have unlimited domains? Are you paying for domain? Mm-hmm. No, no, it's unlimited projects, unlimited teams. Right now, I, I'm surprised at that. Um, but yeah, it's just the the Vapor model. It's it's you pay once. It's unlimited projects, unlimited teams. Uh, but of course, you're still paying for your AWS stuff, and that's where I was actually looking at the other project we had deployed. And you know, again, it was a small—it's our small community sdphp.org site, so it's got very little traffic. Uh, I think, like the the traffic portion of Vapor, cost us like twelve cents so far. But there are some like minimal deployments that we had to do, so. I think our total bill is running like 30, 35 bucks, which is a little bit more than what we're doing on DigitalOcean. Um, actually, it might be 45. I forgot about the database. But uh, it's a little bit more than we're doing D- DigitalOcean, but we knew that. I mean, this was more for the experience with Vapor. But for well, our client, it, the, the, cl- the client I'm working on right now, I think it's going to be a net savings for them. Right. Well, for what he's charging for the Vapor service, he's definitely... At probably at the right price point for unlimited at four hundred dollars a year that's that's pretty pricey i'm surprised he doesn't have oof yeah that is a little high doesn't have a tiered pricing model like you know try it with a project you know for something way less yeah but that, that might be coming down the road who knows but it's not a cheap yeah. service to just just to facilitate getting your application up onto AWS serverless architecture. Because you can do it without Vapor. It just takes a lot more work. Right? Right. And there's a lot of lot more things to figure out and and even the deployment process and making sure you deploy things correctly. But yes, to answer your question, you don't need Vapor. Matter of fact, once you deploy it on Vapor, you can actually go into your AWS environment and you can see all the services it's using and how it configured it. So if you know AWS well enough, it would probably be pretty easy for you to start to mirror that workflow and just come up with the few missing pieces you need for that auto deployment. Hmm. Interesting. Well, good good for him to release a good service that you're happy with. I am so happy with it. Yeah. Awesome. How about you, John? What have you been up to? Me? Nada. Twiddling my thumbs. Nada, I... Twiddling my thumbs. Actually, you... 
you made some comment earlier today about getting... Yeah, he jinxed the hell out of us out there. I saw oh. that. I'm like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> I don't know what you guys yeah. are talking about. Uh, I've been tweeting more this week, and I forget how much I really like Twitter. I just, I'm terrible at doing it. Because it's one of those things where if I have it open, it consumes too much of my time. And so, for the most part, I just leave it off. But it's been fun, you know, throwing some things out there and getting responses from the community, such as one of the big applications I work on switched their session storage from Memcache to Redis and dropped the average um, response time from around 350, 400 milliseconds, dropped it 100 milliseconds from that. So basically, 25 to 30% savings and response time and that's I, pretty nice and i was like just by switching from memcache to redis so i i threw it out and i had i had my own suspicions on what it why that might have been and i really didn't think it was actually switching from one to the other it was uh, a while back when the infrastructure was on hardware that was owned by the client they had two memcache servers, one for data, one for session. Then they made this big push to go to AWS, and there was one person uh, that did all the infrastructure there. And for some reason, they used one memcache server putting all data and sessions in there. So I'm assuming the session uh, call was competing for resources with normal data calls. So just splitting mm. splitting that out into a separate server just happened to be Redis made a big made a big improvement. Been fascinating. You also tweeted that uh, what was it when it rains it pours and now you're getting more work than you want and don't know what to <laughs> well, do have well, to turn away contracts. Well, not more work than I want. <laughs> that's the wrong way to think of it yeah just been a great like month or two at diego dev we're just getting a lot of good good uh, word of mouth referrals and people needing help with stuff so at a meeting today have another one scheduled for monday lots going on signed a new contract a couple weeks ago yeah, it's funny. We, we've been using this Calendly service, which has been a, a, a huge time saver for John and I. Um, when when people want to have meetings with us, John and I actually have our, our calendars feeding into the service, and then we we can designate what times we're available for uh, a meeting. And now we just give that link to people who want to schedule meetings with us and say, okay, you know, pick a time and let us know. And, and it, it's so now it's like I'm getting these meeting invites and I'm telling I'm messaging John. I'm like, wait, what is this one? Like, who is this person? And John's like, oh, yeah, I meant to tell you. He messaged me. And uh, it's just so many like uh, I mean, most of it is just that initial. Hey, what are you guys about? We have this project. What What are your rates? But it's funny because we 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 go like these long dry spells where 
you know, nobody's engaging with us and we're just grinding away at our contracts. And then all of a sudden it's like, once, once we get like one person engaged with us, something happens. It's just like, it must be like a, like a budget cycle or something. Like everybody, everybody has a budget at the same at the same time. But it was weird because I forget about our, our business model because we work in it so much that it's become so natural to us. This is how we work. This is how we, we do things. This is how our clients benefit from it that I forget how different it is and having to explain it again to like new clients. It's like, I, I messaged John. I'm like, you know what? I really love our, our model. Our business model is just so awesome. It's like, there may be some sticker shock of, based on how we do our, our our rates we do a retainer plan we don't do like hourly rates or anything so right. based you know there, there's always that sticker shock but if you really think about what you're getting it's it's it really counts for itself easily so, so I, I, John. I, this is just a big commercial for Diego dev but fine <laughs> by me fine by me <laughs> Thomas what they sponsor us. So did you calendar your uh, five-year friend anniversary with your wife? No. Was I supposed to? Wait. I don't know. I've been, fr- I've been friends with my is. wife for five years. You you brought it up before the show, and <laughs> Eric and I have no idea what this thing is, what a five-year friend anniversary is. It's a just a Facebook message me saying, hey, you've been friends with your wife for five years. How long have you been married? 19. That, that seems, that seems there's like a disparity there. <laughs> well, they didn't really like each other for about 14 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've been together for 24. Is that what it works out to? 23, something like that. Oh, well, better, better get that one right before you go back to bed. Nah. <laughs> nah. Um, yeah, so that, that came through and, Basically, she never wanted a Facebook account until we had kids. And then it was, oh, I can share photos with family, and that's why she got one. So, yeah, we, Yay, we're we, all so happy. We, <laughs> <laughs> you guys brought it up. I was willing to let it go. You were like, we got a crowbar. I, I still didn't know what the hell you meant. Oh, I thought it was obvious. I, was, I wasn't going to sleep right. Facebook. So, yeah, I have, a, I have a cousin who just had a kid, and oh, my goodness, the baby pictures. And like I said, my wife, my my wife told me she's like, "You're just lucky. You're lucky we didn't have Facebook when our kids were born." And I'm like, "Yeah, I am, because now I can make fun of everybody else and say we didn't do that when we had kids." Well, the but, kids are lucky too. Yeah, my, for my sure. goodness, man, the Facebook stream. I mean, the 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 baby pictures constantly is just. I I get it. I mean, I get it. It's when you have a kid. It's just. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to the planet, and everybody should know about it. But my god, I've calmed down my sharing quite a bit. I, I don't know. I actually stopped following you, unfortunately. I, <laughs> I don't blame you. I liked your, I liked your baby pictures, John. You always had cute ones. What'd you say, Eric? I said, I love you, man, but I had, I had to stop following you. You got, you, you got, uh, you got demoted to the uh, the list of the of the in laws that I I manually type in their names just to see what's on their stream. I do, I never um, share anything. What are you talking about? 
Okay. <laughs> hey, to my to to my defense, I I almost never go on Facebook, so it's it, it's not a big deal. <laughs> it, it is a cesspool. It I can't I can't do it. I mean, yeah, I just can't do it. I, I I've lost so much respect for more friends on their political views. And if it's not a political view, it's another baby picture, which, I mean, I, I'm a big baby fan. I, I love babies, but there's only so much I'm going to care about your kid. And I don't need... I don't like them. I don't need daily updates of what your kid looks like this time sleeping, because it looks the same as it looked the last four nights sleeping. And I, uh, but I just don't, I just don't go on Facebook. It, it, to me, Facebook has broken. It's like, it's not... It's not functional to me anymore, and it's just I can't use it. I, I I get nothing out of it. So Eric, yeah, you got to put on your calendar. We have plans on November seventh for a couple hours oh. in the morning. Sounds like fun. Is, is it a secret? Or are you going to tell me what you're going to do? Are you going to drive me out somewhere and kill me? Well, that didn't work last time. Not, That's a secret too. I just found out you're not following me, so that is a good option. That might happen. No, I think we talked no, about no. it last. We, I think we talked about it last week. Uh, this whole AB five bill that passed in California, right? Yeah. Oh yes. So there's a a little uh, meeting to kind of learn more about it, and uh, I reached out to somebody trying to get some legal advice, and there's a. 2019 executive briefings at the University Club atop Symphony Towers. So we were invited to that. I am definitely marking my calendar for that. Boy, I wish I could go to a businessman meeting where they talk about the horrible negative impact of providing health care to all of their employees. <laughs> That's not what it is. Stop it. I'm fine providing health care to employees. It just changes the, a lot of the way we do business. I know, I know. I'm just saying, it sounds like a really fun crowd. I, you know, bring bring in some uh, wine coolers and. How'd you know how this went? Damn it! <laughs> our, our secrets are out. I've I've been to some of those types of meetings in L.A. when I was working at a dot com for the first time when I was 19. And uh, boy, I just don't like those people at all. <laughs> really? They are. They are so sure. I mean, at least L.A. businessmen at the top of a high rise. They're so sure they're right about everything. And as a 19-year-old, I was already so sure I was right about everything that they just came off as gross. Because <laughs> they were wrong about everything. <laughs> well, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what this, uh, what this meeting is about, John. So, no, I didn't, didn't see this. I'll... I'll... Well, of course time. you haven't, because I haven't told you about it yet. Oh. I just, I, I just got a response from uh, the person I reached out to. Uh, today, oh. so. yeah, thought, John gets I, the emails. John gets the emails about running businesses. Eric gets the emails about who's the featured uh, dancer at Cheetahs. Yeah, Peppermint is is this month's featured dancer. If you're curious, though. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so what else we got going on? Well, you mentioned Redis earlier, and uh, I went through the experience of 
uh, switching from Predis to PHP Redis as part of my 6.0 rollout. Mm-hmm. How did that go for you? Because we had issues with it. Our, well, first off, it doesn't show up as PHP Redis anywhere except for in the driver name. But if you pull open your PHP info and look for it, it's just Redis. Mm-hmm. It just shows it as an installed plugin named Redis. Um, the servers, we already had the servers working fine, uh, but our local development environments didn't have Predis or PHP Redis installed yet. So in trying to get that installed, I managed to actually completely blow up my Vagrant box and have to rebuild it several times. So you, you, need, to, you, you need to install fun. this as part of your t- PHP deployment? It's installed via Pickle. Pickle. At least in most cases that I saw. So you have yeah. to have Pickle PHPIs, and then you have to do Pickle install PHP Redis, and then you have to go and link the new .so's and stuff into your PHP INI. And I, like I said, it blew up my Vagrant box. I decided to look if the Homestead box had been updated lately, and it had. So I just did a Vagrant box update, and that fixed everything. We actually just talked to Joe Ferguson, the maintainer of Homestead. He's very proud of that project, and uh, yes, he st- he stays on top of that stuff. So it's damn handy. Mm-hmm. Well, too bad we didn't have this so, conversation last week, and we could have passed along your good words to him. <laughs> well, you can do so it. This... You can do it yourself at PHP World. How about that? I will absolutely. I've got everything ready to go. I'm I'm super excited. And when I say excited, I mean uh, crushing anxiety. All right, man. We'll, we'll all be there. We'll go, we'll go have a drink or something. It'll be yes, fun. Yes, but I have to get on the plane and do that whole flying thing that I don't enjoy. Yeah. I just hold John's hand and snuggle him and go to sleep. Not anymore. So, you don't follow me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but speaking of PHP 6... Uh, I, I did run into a couple six? issues. Or, I'm sorry. Laravel 6. <laughs> Laravel 6. Um, I ran into some interesting issues with Laravel 6 during my upgrade, and we talked about it last week where uh, a lot of packages sort of slipped from maintenance and hadn't been updated for the 5 branch in a year or two, mm-hmm. but but still worked because they had defined their requirements as 5.star. Um, and then six, nothing really needed to be changed or one line needed to be changed, but they had abandoned the package and it's just not getting supported. Pull requests aren't being pulled in. Um, but I noticed something interesting about a lot of these 6.0 packages that I was forking and updating to support this, and it's that they require subsections of the Laravel framework in their dependencies. Uh, They'll they'll require illuminate slash database or illuminate Mm -hmm. slash support. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty common. Yeah, super common, um, especially with Symfony projects. But in the Laravel world, those revisions always went up at the same rate. The database support helpers and framework all had matching version numbers. You follow? Mm-hmm. With the 6.0 release, 
that's no longer necessary. The, the packages can be detached so that if there is an update to the framework that's fixing a bug in the support library, then the database one doesn't need to get touched. And I was wondering for a while, is Taylor going to do this? Is Taylor going to keep maintaining it with the same version numbers, or is he going to version everything separately from now on? And I found an indication in the help files, or the help docs, that he was going to maintain them individually. So That's interesting, because I, I, don't, I don't recall requiring a version on... So we do this in this package right here, Lext, which is, stands for uh, Laravel Extended. And we do... We require... Illuminate support your rate, 5.8.0. Yeah, we do do a right, version. Right, so all of, in all the previous releases, the version numbers have always matched between all of the, the related libraries. Mm -hmm. um, there's a comment, though, in the upgrade guide that says, this change only applies to non-Laravel applications that are using Illuminate database as a dependency which indicates to me that these dependencies are going to be maintained separately and that if there's no change in the dependency or if there's no backwards compatibility breaking change, you could see database being at 6.1.2 and you could see framework being at 7.0. Hmm. And that would be really, really nice because that would fix the problem that the 6.0 upgrade has, has created for all three of us, which is that the 6.0 dependency is a major backwards compatibility breaking reference. Well, that and the simple fact that people just put in their composer file, you know, five, the five Laravel 5, any, any version of Laravel 5, and we, we've now jumped to 6. Well, if you do that with Symphony, though, it, it means what it says. It means that this package will always support the 5 branch because the 5 branch will never break backwards compatibility. Right, right. And if he applies this to the libraries as well as to the framework, that means that the libraries will need a lot less maintenance in the future if they support 6. Because mm -hmm. unless, he, unless he implements a backwards compatibility change... Those libraries should all still work fine. Yeah. Yep. I'm very excited that he has embraced Simver, and I'm hoping it, it makes upgrading and moving forward a lot lot simpler, and hopefully package management as well. I mean, I, I never thought of that, but you make a good point. Well, yeah, I, I have a package here that is a Laravel 4 package that got updated to support Laravel 5, but the only update was the dependencies. And then I had to go in and fork it and update it to Laravel 6, but there hasn't been a change in the code for five years. Mm. Except for the JSON, the Composer JSON supporting newer, newer versions. So I, I, that's one of these benefits of Semver that I sort of forgot about, is that you can build dependencies requiring components of Laravel without needing the entirety of Laravel to be compatible. Right. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. 
that's very true. Can I can I have a little bit of a tangent here? You, you made me go to GitHub, and it reminded me of something. GitHub, if I know you listen to the this podcast because we learned last week we are the number one rated tech podcast of the Sharpie community, and you guys have got to do something about your pricing model because I'm looking at all the seats that we're paying for within our organization and we're paying for seats for project managers who want access to the repo to, to, to see when commits are happening. We're paying seats for um, owners, basically project owners who want the same thing, who aren't actually doing any work in the repo. They just want visibility to these repos. And it's just like, I'm paying probably for five seats in our organization of non-developers who just want access to the repo. Am I, am I broken here? Is there like another way to give people view access to a repo, a private repo, not public? Without yeah, you, you print it out, print it out and mail it to them. <laughs> Without burning up a seat? Because these seats, these, I mean, they're not super expensive, but they're, they're not cheap either. And if I didn't It'd be nice if they would do it based on, on if you commit this month, if you make a commit, you're going to pay for that seat for that month. Like Slack, right? Like if yeah. if you're paying for a seat in Slack and that user doesn't log in for a month, Slack will say, hey, we haven't seen, this user has no activity for the last month, so we're we're just going to credit you their, you know, what you paid their seat for. And then they'll start charging you again when that user has activity. That would be, I'd be perfectly happy with that. Yeah, John, that would be, that would work for me. Mm -hmm. oh, we got so many that just just want and I don't even know if they're actually actually even looking at the repo I mean I, I assume some of them are but it's just such a waste for me Is uh, ever since they changed that pricing model I love the unlimited repos now but having to pay for a seat for everybody who wants to just look at the code base is killing me yeah that's horrible Speaking of companies that need to get their act together, Google still needs to do with their freaking calendar and G Suite accounts and Google Home. Like, you pay for an account, make it work. Why is that only yeah, work for, uh, the, free, for the free? Thomas letters? brought up that that video you were talking about last week, John. The who's the guy? The Linus Tech Tips. Mm -hmm. Linus Tech Tips. Yeah, I'm glad to know we're not the only ones struggling with this. Yeah, and if you don't that. know what we're talking about, we, we've talked about it in the past, but we play, we pay for a G Suite account, and we run our business on this G Suite account. And because we have a G Suite account, because of that reason, a lot of the commercial products that Google releases, like like the the hub and the phone, we can't use our G Suite calendar with because it's you know it it doesn't have the right permissions. And there's a couple other things too, like, oh, that was it. Like uh, YouTube, uh, we we did uh, YouTube TV. Like I live in my G Suite account. My Diego Dev G, G Suite account was the only account I used for like five years. And when I was tr when I was doing like the YouTube TV, I can't do my family share. Like they won't let you do family share if you're on a G Suite account and you sign up for YouTube TV, or if you buy a movie, or if you, any of that stuff, you can't do family share. So I have since 
had had to revert back to my old legacy, you know, at gmail.com account for all my YouTube, my movies, you know, all that stuff. I, I even stopped because of that very reason. I stopped using the Google Music service and I just started using Spotify because I was tired of it. I'm like, okay, if I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving you money for the music service anymore. I'm just going to, I'll pay Spotify for it because you basically have irritated me at this point. You're making me use this old email address that I don't even want to use anymore. Like I, I don't, I don't want to use this email anymore. I'd like my Diego dev existence and I want to stay there. And the fact that you keep making me break out of that to do certain things on your platform drives me nuts. When we're paying for it. <laughs> That's the biggest... When we're paying for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not like a... Speaking of Google... Yes, speaking of Google. Have you guys seen the new... Uh, the new nofollow attributes? No, there are new no-follow attributes. Yeah, so uh, 15 years ago, Google introduced the no-follow uh, REL attribute for links, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it had implications on crawlers and what you did and didn't want to crawl and get mapped and all that stuff. And they've released a new doc today with new link identifiers. So they want to define what the nature of a link is now. Interesting. Not just no follow, but what the link is as well. Um, and it's very interesting stuff. So this is, uh, this is, this is as opposed to the no follow, you, you can define these other, other Con- context around what the link is. Right. So they've introduced two new contexts. Um, one of them is sponsored, which identifies a link on the site that is part of an advertisement, sponsorship, or other compensation agreement. And the other, which I find more interesting, is UGC, which is user-generated content. Hmm. And that attribute is for links that point to uh, comments, forum posts, user-submitted things. And that's, to me, that's a strange case for them to want to track specifically. See, Mm -hmm. I'm reading that differently. That is for links within user-generated content, not pointing to user-generated content. So it's Uh, if someone puts a link on my site in a comment, I'm going to tag it as UGC so that if it goes off to some nefarious site, I don't get penalized because it's user-generated oh, content. You're right. You're right. I I'm reading see. that wrong. That makes a lot of sense now that you say that, John. Interesting. Yeah, it, if my users point to a good site, I want it to benefit me and not hurt me. So. Yeah, so uh, this the, the nofollow attribute is still there um they just don't want to use it for any type of advertising references they want you to say this is an ad by saying sponsored and it feels like this is in some way trying to address ad blockers and minimize the impact of ad blockers 
Um, but again, well, you know, Google wouldn't, wouldn't, this, wouldn't this make it easier for ad blockers? Wouldn't an ad blocker just say, okay, see if this link has this uh, rel, and if it does, you know, remove it. Absolutely, yeah. It makes it easier. Um, it, it makes it easier for Google to implement an ad blocker that they consider a fair ad blocker. Mm. Um, but it also, but, going back to the SEO part, I'm linking to somewhere as a sponsorship so that you can see that there's a relationship there and hopefully the the content between the two is close enough to give some sort of boost in in their rankings maybe hmm. I mean that's the that's the big question is Google's algorithm is completely secret we have no idea how it works or what it makes its decisions based on. They're asking us to implement this to be, to get a favored status from them. But we also don't know how it gets used by them. Um, you know, maybe if there's a website that's all ads and it doesn't use the sponsor tag, they just downrank the whole site and oh. punish you for not following their rules. Did you see this? You can actually stack the the different ones so you can have UGC and sponsored. But if it's UGC, how do you know it's sponsored? Uh, that's just the example they gave. I don't know. Yeah, another example is no follow UGC so that you can be compatible, backwards compatible with their service as well as implement the new tag. They're they're looking out for Yahoo with that one. <laughs> but I yeah, I thought that was uh, interesting. I mean, that's something I'm I'm going to have to implement for sure uh on my systems. Especially Do you have a lot of user generated content? We don't have a lot of user generated content. Um the content that is user generated can't have links in it, but we do have uh, sponsor-like relationships with third parties. Hmm. Where so it's like would... a, it's like a white box, right? Where where you, the the no. end user might not know that they're going to another another service. No, actually, in this case, it would be literally another service that we do cross marketing with and help each other out. Hmm. But uh, I'm burning through my list. Well, that's good, man. You guys want to talk about Richard Stallman? Who? Oh, I heard we don't. <laughs> do, do we? Nope. Nope, not at all. My uh, my little stream deck isn't working. I can't I can't switch scenes. Scenes aren't switching for me. I have to do it the old-fashioned way here. What, with a mouse? Yeah. Like a, what sort of Mickey Mouse organization we like weren't running here. Like some kind of plebeian. I I had I had something up here. So let me let me share this one with you guys. First thing, let me go back here. What's up with this? What what is up with this? Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I didn't. I thought when uh, GitHub was doing their uh, dependency uh, graphing that they had they were already going through the composer files. Uh, but are they 
I, I, I saw an article that says dependency graph support is now available for PHP repositories with composer to comp dependencies. I'm like, weren't they already doing this? But maybe they weren't. So I believe that we've had several confusing conversations about this because John's never gotten any of these dependency warnings. No, and I we finally didn't know why. No, I finally did from Dependabot. Which I think is different than what this is. Right. I... And, and Dependabot, nine times out of ten, and maybe ten out of ten, I just haven't been paying attention, it it definitely it weighs heavier heavier on NPMs. So whenever I get a Dependabot right. uh, notification, it, it almost always seems like it's an NPM. But I could have sworn in the past I had gotten Composer dependency and this might even have been before dependabot but I, I could have sworn that I, I had gotten composer uh notifications of packages that had vulnerabilities uh, associated with them am i wrong i am not sure because the one that i got a ton of uh notifications about was my GraphQL one that's almost completely JavaScript-based. Mm -hmm. And I believe that all of the notifications that I got were about my JavaScript dependencies, not about my PHP dependencies. Okay. Well, I mean, if it wasn't there before, it is there now. Dependency graph support is now available for PHP repositories with composer dependencies. So and it's, it is currently an opt-in thing. It's in beta. You have to go into GitHub and say, I want this. And then they give it to you. Hmm. I'm still not mm -hmm. sure exactly what it's, what it's doing other than showing you, hey, you've got all these dependencies. Um, so what it does is when a library that you depend on flags a an older release as being a security issue, mm -hmm. then it notifies you that you use a release that has a security issue associated with it. Hmm. All right, Thomas, you, you touched, you touched, uh, Richard Stallman, uh, you touched on him. So let's, let's go ahead and get this out the way. Cause I was, I was, I guess I was surprised. I mean, it's weird to find out, how certain topics reach in like the most bizarre places, but go ahead. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? He, okay, my, so my, he my understanding something... of it, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be very generic because I didn't, I didn't read a lot of details. Richard Stallman is a little bit of a kook, anyways. You know, he's like, yes, he's one of these militant open source people. Which, God bless, they're they're out there because they they bring balance to the world. But I can never, I can never listen to him talk for too long because. You know, because of this, because he is so unrelenting on what open source is and for things to, for him to, for open source to adhere to his definition is, he, he's just, he's just, well, yeah. To Anyways. be fair, his definition is the GNU 
license. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, his definition means a lot, but he's also a, a kook in a, in a lot of other interpersonal ways and very much an older mindset. Um, says a lot of odd, somewhat misogynistic things. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know a lot of history on that. But for this very specific case, I guess for the first thing, as a result of this, uh, he stepped down from MIT. He stepped down from the GNU project. I mean, he stepped down from a lot of things that he's known for because of what he did here. But I, my my understanding is very recursive. I I didn't. Phil was important enough to go deep into what happened or what was said, but I guess he said some things that uh, supporting uh, some comments Epstein made uh, the 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 pedophile guy who billionaire who killed himself uh, recently in prison. Um, I guess Stallman made some remarks around some of the people who, who were bringing up charges against him and, and whether you know, so, what his opinions were of them? Here's the thing. When you're dealing with these kinds of, of graybeard intellectuals, they can be extremely pedantic. And there was an email thread in which he was being extremely pedantic in defense of a... Um, an AI quote unquote pioneer uh, who was related to Epstein's behaviors in one way or another. And the way he described things rubbed people uh, the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Um, He was very pedantic and he was very particular about what terminology should be used in this case. And Motherboard got a hold of this email thread and published it, and then Vice did an article where they basically completely burned him. Um, they they quoted poorly. They did a just a ninety percent uh, burn piece about how awful the circumstances with Epstein were and how terrible it was that. It, it happened and then misquoted or, or poorly quoted Stallman's emails to project him as a supporter of, of this somehow. And it's, it's a, it was a very bad journalistic job, but it got caught in the sort of uh, collective consciousness and despite him having said much, much worse things in the past, this is, this is the one that burned him. That's, this is the one, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, 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 take it, I take it by your comments, you don't necessarily agree with the Vice article? Like I said, the Vice article is a burn piece. It's, it's clearly worded to raise interest in the article and not in the truth. Um, and I'm not saying that I agree with Stallman 
or disagree or anything that could ever be quoted ever as some comment on what was said. Come on, come on, Thomas, you can do it. <laughs> but it's a, it was a strange, it was, a, it was a strange and fast turn of events. Um, especially from someone who's known for being extremely controversial already. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the nature of it. That's the nature of being in the public spotlight. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't necessarily get to decide the public's opinion of you. Right. And, and that's always the problem, right? Because it's never a balanced view of your points. Your points are, are always an extreme, you know, it's, it's you. You could be you could be a good person. You could give to charity. You could do all this, but if you have this one bad piece in your life, that that's what's going to be focused on, and that's who that's what's going to de- define you. I tell my kids this all the time because it, you know there there is the there is the fact that they have to live with the reality that the internet's not going away, and all the stuff they're doing on the internet will be there for them years down the road, but I always explain it to them with, like, law enforcement. It's like, a, a person can become a police officer for all the right reason. They could serve, uh, you know, 20 years of their career doing all the right things, saving all, all the, you know, saving lives and helping people and this and that. But if, you know, a month before they retire, they do something bad, that is now what has defined their entire career. They could lose their pension because of they could, you know, this, that, and and, and what that uh, interpretation of bad is is not up to them. It becomes it becomes a public kind of free for all of how how bad they want to portray this one person. And it's and it's, it's and it's not even it's not even if it was bad at the time that you said or did it. Mm-hmm. It's if it's bad now, and you did it thirty years ago when it wasn't bad, it can still burn you. Well, it was it was still bad. It just wasn't perceived as bad. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. That's exactly what the I mean. same, same. And this thing. is what Trudeau is going through. That's this is what several congressmen are going through with blackface. Where at a time in a culture where they were not exposed to anyone who would say blackface is wrong. Mm. And they had grown up watching films that had blackface in it, then they might have done it, not understanding. And mm-hmm. 30 years later, when the news finds a photo of it from a yearbook, that's your career. Yep. Yep, and that's it. I'm not saying that that shouldn't be the case. I'm just saying that the way that data is collected now and and searched through now is terrifying and saved right i mean and and this is what you know this is what you're explaining to children it's like this stuff is this one sentence you say about this one person you know as a as a junior or a freshman going into high school can cost you a scholarship four years later which can cost you your ceo job 60 years later exactly yeah, and th- this is one of the things that Snowden is talking about in his new book. So he just released a book called Permanent Record, which is about the mass surveillance and the mass storage of surveillance. And in part of his book, he explains that AT&T started tracking 
every single phone call in the United States in 1987 and permanently storing it on record, which can be accessed by the NSA. So just from that one partnership with AT&T, the NSA has records for every person in America for every phone call they've ever made leading back to 1987. Mm-hmm. And because that data is considered metadata under the current, uh, under the current Patriot Act and uh, restrictions after 9-11, that data is completely free to search by government agencies. Mm-hmm. And that's just phone calls. That's just telephony. Uh, the same is true for all internet access and all everything you do. Uh, if your car has got a GPS in it, if your phone has GPS records, I mean, they know which tower. The tower you were connected to at any given point in time is considered metadata, and it's available for use uh, by police agencies. But it's all just out there, and it's out there forever and ever now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, no, there's no more loss of data. Did you actually... Skype. Not the... Did you actually read Stallman's email? I didn't read the whole chain, no. Not the whole chain, just his portion of it. Uh, pieces? I don't think I've seen the entire thing. Yeah, Do you have an opinion on it, John? It's, it's fascinating. His big thing is around the word assault. The term sexual yes. assault. And my take from what he's saying is that Minsky may not have one known that the person was underage, may not have done anything assaulting, that it very well could have been um, Epstein who forced her to go through with this, but in a hushed way, like not like telling her to conceal that, like just go do this and so I think he's more coming to the defense of this person not necessarily the act of what happened to the girl again not that I agree or disagree it's just it really is interesting on on the wording here yeah that's the thing is it to if you if you read the email it it is a it is a very strictly pedantic debate over terms. Used but what, why, why is he sending this email? I mean, it's like, what? what's the... Well, the whole that, thing's, that, that, it was because Epstein had given a bunch of money to MIT, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just started this whole debate of the university accepting money from somebody like him and what to do with it. And it so I think it was just starting like a conversation. Hmm. Right, and because the his friend who's who was involved in this, Minsky, was an AI researcher, I, I believe at CSAIL as well, and they were discussing the implications of his work and its relationship in this, but they were also discussing a Verge article and what the Verge article is stating. I mean, it was, 
it was a debate and a conversation about the implications of this whole thing. Yeah, somebody, so it was out on like their, um, their group email within the school and somebody had said something and then he was responding to that is basically what happened. It wasn't like he just sent out this email. Hmm. Somebody was saying, it makes me really happy to see people standing against injustice. Anyway. Go read the chain yourself. Yeah. We spent way too much time on it. Um, but, again, related to Snowden, uh, like I said, he released his new book, and it's really blowing a lot of minds. Uh, but the Justice Department has filed a civil lawsuit against Snowden and his uh, publisher. They said that Snowden had signed a civil contract which required him to submit any publications to the NSA for review before publishing anything. This is true. And this that is very they true. were not they were not trying to stop the release of the book. They just wanted his money. No, uh, no, it's not. It's not they want his money. They don't get any money out of it. They, they Abs- just make, absolutely. No, they don't. No, they don't talk about something you don't know, Thomas. I mean, it's right here in the article that they got they got money from it. That they want the they want the publishing money. They want all money produced as a result of the publishing of this book to go to them because it is a civil lawsuit. No, okay. As part of the lawsuit, they're asking for, for the compensation, but that's not why the NSA requires him to go through them before he publishes it. Oh, no, no. They require him to go through it for, for approval. Right, right. So when, when my dad, uh, worked at, um, uh, worked for the NSA, uh, the first book to ever the first book to ever come out that got the NSA's approval or blessing called Puzzle Palace Puzzle Palace was like this just earth shattering thing like I, you know we, they couldn't believe that that this guy had gotten approval to publish this book and you know I read the book and you know there was some interesting stuff in there but nothing like well, I don't know. I guess if if you weren't aware of what the NSA was, it, it might have been pretty earth shattering. But I, it, it was, yeah. There's a reason why the NSA requires to all their all everybody who's worked for them to to you know if they're going to publish anything, they've got to go through them. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that they wanted they wanted first rights on it or anything. I'm just saying. That their their only action that they can perform on this because he's a former employee is a civil suit. They can't really stop right. the book from coming out. And there's got to be something. There's got to be something in the fact that they wanted to throw him in jail, like before before the book. It's like why would he have thought he still needs to get their approval for for something when? You know, they're, you know, 
as far as he's concerned in his head, it's going to be a blanketed no because in in their eyes, he's a he he's a criminal. He's he's worse than a criminal, right? He's he's right. a criminal against the country. So and his his attorney addressed this and said, "Had Mr. Snowden believed that the government would review his book in good faith, he would have submitted it for review." But the government continues to insist that facts that are known and discussed throughout the world are still somehow classified. Mm. So, I mean, he, he basically said, yeah, of course I'm not going to give it to you guys to review because that gives you a heads up that you guys want. But there's nothing that's classified here. There's nothing that's not public knowledge at this point. It's just his experiences with this stuff and, and how it impacts Americans. Mm-hmm. And he wants to come back home. Yeah. You know? And he definitely doesn't want to be in Russia. No. <laughs> That's, that was the one thing. I saw an interview with him, and he was very, very clear. He's like, my plans were never to be here in Russia. He's like, I had, I had you know, contingencies for all these other countries that, that had treaties with the U.S., and, uh, you know, he was blocked uh, from going to any of them, so... Yeah, That's a, yeah. He's doing he's doing a lot of interviews now. He just did one with NPR, and man, I I do support him. That's when I can go on the record and say you support Snowden. I, I I'm a fan of Snowden as well. I think uh, I think he had some hard decisions to make, and he made them, and he wasn't wrong, right? I mean, everything that everything that he he talked about that has been exposed. The government has acknowledged the fact that it was illegal that they were doing that they had overstepped their their bounds with it. Yeah, and and that his oath when working at the NSA was not to the president, to Congress, or the government, but it was to the Constitution, and that mm-hmm. his primary his primary objective at the NSA was to uphold the Constitution of the United States from enemies foreign and within. And when he saw it happening, yeah, and when he saw it happening, he did what he felt he had to do. I couldn't, I don't know, I don't think I could have done it. Oh, God, no. (laughs) You seen what Russia's like? (laughs) To all of our, to all of our Patreons in Russia. (laughs) I'm sorry. All right, are we wrapping up? This seems like we've had a very deep and and just a very deep podcast here. This is not us. I don't know how you're going to find anything funny in this whole podcast to put at the beginning of our show. I've got one last thing. John, I want to ask you, how are your Bitcoin investments? Gone. Gone. You've liquidated. So you're the guy who made a single transaction worth $1 (laughs) billion. Yep. That was me. It's impressive. We we got out and we got out we got out on the upside so we're we're happy. There was I only, uh, a, I I only got out because I had plans for that money and achieved my goal. There was a, a somebody at the token analyst who noticed that there was a transfer a single transfer of ninety four thousand five hundred and four bitcoins. Valued at the time at $1.018 billion. And the funny thing to me was, we've always talked about how 
Bitcoin's you know big thing is privacy, security, et cetera, et cetera. But it took like less than a day for them to figure out that this was from Huboy Global. Yeah, which yeah, is if a you, if you have if you're using any any sort of uh, online service wallet. It went from they didn't want to know anything about you to they needed to know everything about you if you ever wanted yeah, to take out your every Bitcoin. single thing. Yeah, yeah, it was so it's crazy. A, a Singapore-based cryptocurrency exchange, but still, to have faith in transferring one billion dollars of cryptocurrency. Well, to to be fair, the, the whole anonymous thing. Yeah, they got it back to a. They got it back to a cryptocurrency exchange, which if you keep track of any of the addresses you're sending money to, I don't think that's hard to figure out. But all those transactions in the middle are still mostly anonymous. It, unless somebody is saying, I sent money to Eric, nobody's going to yeah. know that's Eric. I mean, the, the transactions in the middle are mostly anonymous, but it... it... There, the graph here I'm looking at shows a single, a single point, yeah, where everything converges into one billion dollars. Yeah, it at makes some you, point that one address had ninety five thousand Bitcoin, and then started dispersing them as people bought them. But unless Huboy comes out and says, "Oh, I sent five Bitcoins to somebody," that's still anonymous. Yeah, it's just crazy stuff. Yeah, I just didn't want it to get out there like, oh, you have to be terrified that it's not anonymous. It, it's anonymous if it's not if anonymous. You from a, if you bought it from a public exchange, and then they get, uh, if they get subpoenaed to say, hey, where did this money go? They may have to share. I don't know, but they know who if they're they, doing business if they with even know. because, well, they have to. If, if I give them. A thousand dollars in cash. They got to. They're they're charging my credit card or my bank account. They got to know where the money's coming from. Right now, if I yeah, but if you give them a suitcase full of gold, they don't have to know anything. Right, but that's not how currency exchanges work. If I came to you and you had some and I bought some from you, that's going to be anonymous, and there's not going to be any way for it to get tracked unless somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, did you send Bitcoin somewhere?" And then you have to. To share where it went. Yeah. It's interesting stuff, man. Billion dollars. Yep. Wish I had a billion dollars. <laughs> I would. I wish dollars. I just had. I just wish I had the address 37XUVSEP, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> okay. Wrap it up. It All makes right. you, it makes you wonder with that, with that address and with the, uh, the new 52-qubit quantum computer. Could you steal a billion dollars? All right, that's been our show. What happened? What show? What show was that? Their, their private key. That'd be fun. PHP Ugly episode 164. 164. I've been your host, Tom Rideout. Eric Van Johnson. I'm John Congo. Keep it ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsors, the Diego Dev Group. 
If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. That's www.diegodev.com. Show notes and RSS feeds can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly or join us in our Discord channel. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast listener. A rating of five stars is always appreciated. Until next time, keep it ugly.